0: Hey, good people, this is Sharon. i Dom, back with another reflection, and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, got a confession to make. I've been really, really struggling with coming back to do a part two. Yesterday, I ref- recorded um, Ready, Ready, and in that reflection, I was so excited, <sighs> just so hopeful, so encouraged about. Knowing the next stage of my development work, um, as a person that's committed to personal development, I believe as long as we live, we have work to do. And I feel that I finally have consciousness about the work that I need. And, um, maybe it's consciousness, consciousness, or just simply capacity, to do it. So maybe I've had consciousness for a while, but not the emotional capacity or even the technical uh, under capacity as an understanding to do the work. And so yesterday I felt that um, the work, the next level work for me was named around healing work. Um, that's I was super excited about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come back and do a part two. And this is my fifth attempt and I wish I could tell you those attempts were lighthearted. they were not attempt one was 12 minutes I deleted it the second attempt was 44 minutes and I deleted it the third attempt was like a minute um, excuse me an hour and two minutes and then I deleted it and then this morning so all of that was yesterday because I said I was coming back yesterday I tried and then this morning I did one for an hour and 17 minutes And I just deleted it. And I don't like to do that because to me, I pride myself on this project being committed to my authenticity and my internal world, being authentic about my internal world. And uh, me deleting those to me is an indicator that I don't want to do that out loud. So I have to accept that. So while I am really ready, I'm super ready. I'm excited about being ready. I, that is still true. I'm not sure that I want that work to be done out loud, especially in an f- how about this, especially in a free style, unscripted way. Um, the te part there were two conflicts I was having in terms of each time I we go down this space of of unpacking trauma, um, unpacking kind of the area of development that I need to focus on in in that trauma. There were two things I was contending with that ultimately led to me deleting those episodes. The first thing, and I knew this fairly early on, is that I am a data person. So while this project is dedicated to being subjective... That's part of healing work as well, when you've been uh, raised in an environment and you come from a culture where you're not allowed to be subjective, to have a subjective experience, which is what it means to be human, is to live in the world through your subjective selves. That's the purpose of this project, is to give room for my subjectivity, to validate it, to give it space, to engage in it, to allow other people to engage in it. And for over a year, that's what I've been doing, and I've been super proud and super happy of that. But I think there's a part of this healing work that is unclear for me, and I need data for it. And I I don't know, I don't really, there's a plane flying above me. I'm outside, by the way. Hold on, I'm going to pause until the plane passes. My healing is going to be, I don't know. I don't actually know what the truth is here. But I'm going to tell you how I feel. I do... I feel I need data to move through this process. And I think the reason why I'm struggling with that, because I'm a data person anyway, all decisions are um, based on data. When I met my heart coach, one of the first things, once I realized we were both N.I. Doms, because she's an INFJ, and I just started appreciating what she was bringing to me. Like I saw a part of me Blossom in her presence that I wasn't able to uh, experience in the world with other people. So, and I'm now since seeing myself with other ni doms. I for the most part healthy ni doms who aren't competing for ni domness. I don't one day talk about the ni the ni to ni competition because I believe that's a thing. Unfortunately, but there was. So there is just some a part. There's a there's a the true me. I feel like the, the the me that is most fundamental blossoms and is awakened in in that in that space. So when I realized she was an ni dom and and I saw my in, my ni ness on me in the space of another ni dom and realizing that was just part of my awakening around. What it means to be an NI Dom and what it means to be repressed as an NI Dom, To be disconnected. Mm-hmm. That I have been f- functioning in the world kind of like a T.E. DOM. But this is the work that I'm still doing. I'm not a T.E. DOM. And you can see it. And as a result of not being a T.E. DOM, functioning as a T.E. DOM, there's a, comp- there's a, there's a battery of of... Incompleteness because I'm not a, a TE Dom and I'm comparing myself against that function. But that's not who I am. Um, I think my TE is heightened, but I'm not a TE Dom. So, anyway, just meeting her was just really good for me, part of my development. But I think. One of the things I noticed about her is that she can have an intuition about something and she goes with it. It is locked in. And now now I'm thinking about it, what I what I really think it is, is, this is her NI Because that T I is an internal truth. It's a rational judge function and it pairs with that NI. I think it's awesome. So I don't know if other INTJs, I don't know if other INTJs can feel superior to INFJs because we're like, Why shouldn't we can get it done kind of people. But in some ways, I think the INFJ is more is more powerful, because that intuitive in, uh, function, that introverted intuition is paired, It's linked, rather, to the introverted thinking. And that introverted thinking, in my opinion, is a beast because you're like, I know, I know, I got it, I got it worked out. It is what it is. (laughs) And although I think INFJs use that Ti in a defensive way, I think when that Ti is partnered with is linked to that Ni in terms of the as in terms of an internal subjective self, it's powerful. So anyway, I noticed this about her, and I always linked it to the Fe. I don't know why. But I was like, oh, you don't, have a root, you don't have a need to verify your intuition. And maybe it's not, now that I think about the TI connection, maybe it's not that there's no need to verify it. It's just an internal process that's happening already. So their verification for their NI, oh, this is so good. Oh, my gosh. And you know, I'm, I'm hard on y'all FE users. INFJs, I've been hard on you. You know that, right? Even though I, I consider us sisters. But this is to your credit. I just assume that you didn't need to verify your intuitions. You didn't need to poke it. You, you intuit something. It is what it is. Boom. For me, as it, I have to verify. I have to vet it. I have to go look for some objective data. i got to put it inside of a framework. I have to externally validate my internal subjectivity. But you verify and validate it. But it's an internal process based on your own truth. I'm jealous, by the way. I'm I'm jealous of that. And I think that's what's going on here. Like this work is going to require me to validate my subjectivity. And that makes me want to cry. I can feel it right now. I don't have experience with that. My whole knowing existence is based in some type of external validation process. I'm pretty surprised that in this project that I don't talk about my three degrees. You know, I talk about being a trained and practicing educator and social scientist. I've been practicing for 30 years. Half of that's been in leadership. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But what I don't do is, and not every once in a while I'll mention my third degree, my doctorate, every once in a while when it's relevant to, when it's really, really relevant, but I don't use it as a regular staple of understanding me. It looks like I don't talk about me being a business person, even though that's a huge part of my orientation in the world. But I hold three degrees. And part of holding three degrees, I have a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD. Part of that is me needing this external knowledge that has been tested scientifically, so, through some kind of rigorous process, to pair that with my internal process, my intuition. And heaven forbid, my internal feelings Because I'm never going to just sit with those internal feelings and say, I feel this way and this is fact. I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to poke interrogate those feelings. Always. So that's what external data does for me. It's a validation process. It's a framing process. It's an interrogation process. And as an intuitive, I just don't rely on my intuition. Intuition. I'm doing better at respecting it, and thank you to this project. This project is really a, a significant a breakthrough for me to be able to. That's why I always say this. I called it the ni dom because I'm trying to hold space for that. Not that you don't, you don't, you don't really isolate those functions. I'm not in my ni domness, and, and all my other functions are parked while I'm doing this project. Absolutely not. But I am trying to give way for that N.I. dominance to have its own self, its own presence without me feeling like I got to cover it up or organize it. And sometimes, most times I am organizing it with my T.E. And feeling it through my F.I. I don't know what my S.E. is doing, (laughs) but... Most times I am still doing it. And then those episodes where I'm not, they're so scattered, disjointed, choppy. I hate those episodes. You probably hate them too. (laughs) So anyway. So anyway, I just found that I feel that trying to talk through this healing work without that external data is difficult. So in the episode I just deleted, that was for an hour and seventeen minutes. I, there was an article that I had, and I read a lot. I read all of it actually. You've I've, I've never read an entire article for you all. I usually read a piece, and I deviate. I still, I'll expand. I read it. Now I I read um about the eight stages of psychosocial development according to Eric Erickson's theory. Um, so I read each stage, and then I I did try to. Expound on that through my personal experiences, I hated it. Because it's like, that's just my experience. What if how I experienced it was not true? For me, truth is located in validation. In terms of an experience, now I can say I believe in something, and my beliefs can be standalone all day, every day. I can have a standalone belief. But in terms of an experience, saying this is what happened, that's hard. So, can you imagine what it's like to have a set of experiences that are never going to be validated because the world that I had those experiences in? don't want it framed in a particular way. I'm stuck. So I have some work to do. I have some work to do. I just I'm not sure if I can do that through this medium. And I will try to give you what I can. But it's not easy so that the the data the verification process is what's part has been inspiring me to push the hit the delete button. The other part that is uh, inspiring me to hit the delete button is the vulnerability piece. As a Type Eight in the Enneagram system, yo, know, I'm not getting ready to sit here and talk about being vulnerable, talk about being wounded, talk about being broken. No, I'm gonna rise above it, baby. I'm gonna, you know what I mean? I'm gonna rise above it, and I'm gonna show how I've grown. I'm going to produce something in it. I'm going to help somebody else. I'm not going to sit in that vulnerability. But that's what this stage of the process is going to require me to sit in it. It's going to require that. I'm not going to be able to do that out loud with you all. (laughs) Now I'm going to be able to come back and go, yeah, when I was vulnerable about this thing, I'm going to be able to tell you. That part I've grown comfortable with. But in real time, letting you hear what that sounds like, oh my God. Mm, mm, mm. I have hit, I've deleted four episodes of almost about three hours of content. Three hours of my time has been deleted. (laughs) So, it is what it is. So, let me tell you what I am comfortable with doing. I'm comfortable with telling you my feelings right now. I'm comfortable with doing that out loud. Um, Maybe a little frustrated. I don't know. I don't know why frustration is coming up for me. But knowing that there's work to do, being feeling ready to do it, Maybe the frustration is not knowing how to do it. Maybe that's what the frustration is. Now, honestly, there are professionals out there that could help me process all of this. (laughs) I'm very comfortable with that. You hear me talking about my heart coach. Uh, Yes. But I have found my relationship and my productivity with my heart coach to be strengthened when I do my own work. And that I'm not totally dependent on someone else. To determine my truth, I have to do that for myself, and I'm re- I'm here for it. I just I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna have to figure out. It's not all gonna be out loud, so I wanted to say that to you. That was my confession that I have deleted four episodes. This is take five in terms of trying to respond, I'm trying to give you guys a part two to yesterday's. Reflection called Ready, Ready. In that episode, I talked about there being seven types of dis- seven types of toxic family systems. And I know I talked about uh, dysfunctional families and in, in like May or June. But this particular content I dis- I stumbled on yesterday. That I stumbled on yesterday was about seven different types of dysfunctional families about seven different types of dysfunctional families. And I have a book called Mothers Who Can't Love. gives five different types of mothers who can't love their children. That was big. And I'm not finished with that book. I can only read that book in uh, doses because there is so much of my subjective truth that has been pushed away, but not really pushed away. Right, I can deny it if I want to, but it's locked in the body. It's locked in the body, and I think it's waiting to come out. But um, and so when I read that text, there's an overwhelming sensation that's very hard for me to sit in as I'm reading this text about. So it's giving me the external validation that I need because it's it's um, it's like a, a, a series of stories of other people having these experiences with these mothers who can't love, and they're given scenarios. They're given these different scenarios. I'm like, oh, I had that experience. I had that experience. I had that experience. I had that experience. And that's the external validation that I needed. That that experience that I have is not just me. Somebody else has had that experience. And when I had that experience and I tried to tell people, this has just happened to me. Nobody believed it. Or they didn't believe, maybe my perception was off. I'm too sensitive. All of these things, acts of invalidating, happen. So it's this cognitive dissonance between what I'm ex- feeling, my subjective experience, and what the world is saying is real. So my there was no objective experience to match my subjective experience. There was a mismatch between my subjectivity and the objectivity, and that can cause some real problems. It can cause anxiety, it can cause depression. It really can. So when I got, when my heart coach gave me this book a few years ago and I started reading it, it really began to help, like, valid, give me some of that external validation that I needed. And I remember going to her, and I told you guys this already, like, wow, this book is my story. Somebody wrote my story. I said, why didn't you? And, And I had been seeing her for three years before she gave me this book. And I was like, why didn't you give this to me sooner? And she was like, I needed to make sure. I needed some time to make sure that what I was hearing was this thing. And uh, so she handled it with care, and I respect that. But what this text did, or this content that I stumbled onto yeah, two days ago, or, yeah, two days ago now, is two days ago, is like the next level of that. So one of the things I struggled with when I, when I read the book, Mothers Who Can't Love, because there's these five different types of mothers who can't love. It's like, why? I struggle with the why. Why are they like that? I, I have a hard time just believing a mother wouldn't love. Like there has to be, there's, there has to be an impetus t- to that. Some type of causation. And this content of two days ago kind of offers that. Because it comes from a system. That creates the mother. And when I talked to you guys yesterday, I was like, Oh, I feel like and I don't feel like crying. I could talk to you, I don't feel like crying. That crying sensation is on me right now. It's on me. hmm I don't think I'm gonna do it. Well, if I do it. Is. I do, I do. <laughs> but that helps to complete connect some dots for me that I still was having a hard time with. I could see those five types of mothers. I, and there's an overlap, like some mothers occupy several of those t- types of mothering. Yep, I saw that. I saw my mother in two, possibly three of those types of mothers. And <laughs> while the experiences were validating, like when I read somebody else's story, Oh, my story after story after story was like I had that exact experience. Yo, like that's weird and affirming and good that somebody can tell a story in a book and I can go, oh, I had that experience. So while I might have a hard time validating my subjectivity around the discomfort with it, somebody else is doing that work and that's a model for me and that's helpful. But I couldn't understand why the mothers would be like this. And that's what the content from two days ago, the seven, excuse me, is it seven? Yep. Seven seven types of toxic family structures (sighs) can explain the different types of mothering that's in that book. So my brain is connecting two sources together right now. And that's good. So what I want to do, and I have my notebook, is I'd like to um, explain those seven systems to you. I, I listed them for you yesterday. I'd like to explain them today. And I also told you that there are eight stages of development. I told you for Eric Erickson, and I can see three of the middle stages for me that were, um, I, can, I can clearly see the challenges locating in those three stages. Like, oh, that didn't happen for, oh, I I didn't get what I needed there. I didn't get what I needed there. I didn't get what I needed there. But the three that happened, there are three that happened. So there are three that I can recognize. I didn't get what I needed. I can see it. I can see it. And I'm comfortable, and I don't know if it's just my subjectivity, but I think my training can say, oh, my my objective training can validate it, right? Oh, you didn't get what you needed there. So but the room the two that that there are two stages that are after, one is the stage I'm currently in, and it's interesting, I'm not struggling in that stage as it relates to what that stage does in isolation. But in that that stage is a continuation of earlier stages, then this stage that I'm in is not fully developed because I'm missing something. Excuse me, and it reminds me of a poem that I wrote. I may have mentioned this to you all. I wrote it in 2000 because I remember, I, it's, and it's called The Missing Piece. It's either the missing piece, a, a missing piece, or missing pieces. Something about missing in the piece. And in that poem, I say, I am not grounded. Because along my journey, I was supposed to be picking up pebbles. I was supposed to be picking up stones to give weight to my person. So here I am today, lighter than I'm supposed to be. Because I haven't picked up the stones that I need to be full in this current stage. I never produced that poem. That's the problem. I got all of these very, very, these, all of my poems are really from trauma. Never said that ever in my life. I always say, oh, my poem poems are dark. They're dark. But what it really is, when I'm thinking about it, all of those poems are about me wrestling with the trauma. And because I don't want to talk about that trauma, I don't want to acknowledge it. I don't even understand that it is trauma until this year. I've not published those poems. And I don't know if I want to anyway. Because I don't want you knowing I've had that struggle. Because I'm me, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I'm a producer. Don't you know what I've produced? Don't you know what I've been able to do? I'm an exceptional producer. I'm a problem solver. How in the world am I going to come on here and talk about something I haven't been able to problem solve? Or how am I going to release those poems? So that's, that's, a, that's the challenge with that. So that piece, the missing piece, and it's, it's so per- the missing pieces is so perfect based on this theory. I am not grounded with the proper weight, because I haven't picked up the stones that I needed along the way. So I know that the stage that I'm in now, while it looks good, I look good in it, because it's a, the generative stage It's about giving back, having an impact on the future, it, um, grooming the next generation. I do that. I'm an educator, I work with. I even work with teachers who are educators, I um, I have done some, co- I do some coaching with people who are parents, I don't coach them as parents, but I coach them in their human, they happen to be parents, I put it that way, I'm an author, I'm a published author, two books are out there, I've got the third one almost on the way, and I two days ago started re-outlining my fourth book, oh I'm leaving an impact on the next generation, good or bad, <laughs> I've raised students i've had staff i have I, I think about the students who've married and had kids from because they met in an organization that existed first in my mind, an exa- an organization that I imagined, and then I went and did the work to make that organization a reality. We're real people, and they've interacted, and now they have kids and families from something that initially existed in my head. So I don't feel I don't feel inadequate I don't feel incomplete in this this stage of life the generative stage of life but because the generative stage is a continuation of the intimacy stage from 20 to 40 no I didn't have real intimacy I struggled with that I struggled I struggled I struggled I struggled the identity stage What are those other stages did I write them down hold on So it's the identity stage, the intimacy stage, and the industry stage. And I want to tell you, I'm really having a hard time with this reflection because I somehow hit the pause button. And I believe I've talked for 15 minutes and that didn't get recorded. So I'm now back I went back to listen to where it stopped and I'm picking up and I don't know if I'm going to be able to give back to you what I said. So it is what it is. You get what you're supposed to get. We're just going to have to trust the process. So in my attempt to try to recover what I've said already, that wasn't recorded. I believe that those three stages, I can clearly see what was missing from my development. And I can see it from the the angle of an educator But when I think about what happened in the first three stages, I can't see the income. I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see what was missing. And I don't know if it's because I am holding on to my memory. I'm analyzing my memories during that time. Or I'm analyzing someone else's memories. But... There was violence. If I didn't say that, I don't know what part of this is caught. So some of this might be on repeat. There was violence in the home. Not a little bit. There's physical violence. There was witnessing your mother with a bloody, busted nose, having to go to a hospital. There are memories where mother, my mother's standing in the doorway with her uniform off her work that's ripped up, and she is going to escape. And she wants us to know that she's leaving, but she's not leaving us. She's going to go get help. She, I talked to her later as an adult, and she said she didn't believe our dad would hurt us, but she had to get out of the house. So she snuck away in the middle of the night, and I have that memory. I have a memory of the abuse happening very loudly in the garage and me knowing where the family gun was at. Six or seven years old. I don't know how old I was. I had to be over five because my sister was in the world. (laughs) And And having the thought process of do I need to protect it's my responsibility to protect so I I, and from what I'm reading in this content from two days ago I know that one of the toxic family systems is called chaos and what I said in the recording that got deleted I think is that I didn't think that that family system was mine when I was on, looking through the seven toxic family structures I was like oh that one I could see a little bit of me my family there but that's not it Because in that system, there's a lot of movement, there's instability, there's a lot of movement and as a result, the parent is not really the parent, there are all these other parents who are having influence. Let's see what my notes say about that. Excuse me. I'm afraid to hit the pause button again because what if I forget to unpause it? Hold on, you guys just bear with me. Here it is, here it is. So, in that system, there are multiple moves: poverty drama breakups uh getting back together um, and it's so chaotic that no one sees it as chaotic so the issue for that a child an adult who comes from that background is in need for stability we're not going to talk about how much I talk about being safe and stable in the world we're not going we're not going to talk about that <laughs> What I found interesting in this one is that children are treated as pets in this type of family system. You make sure that they have food and shelter, but that's it. There is no cultivating of love and care and intimacy. It's just, but they're taken care of. And I, I, there's, I, I I have almost all my poems that I've ever written, but one poem, um, that I wrote that I wish, I wish I could find it. And it's like, um, you know what? I think I do have this one and I compare, I'm trying to understand God. And I was going, I was in a church at a a time that says your understanding of God is connected to your experiences with your parents. Whatever experiences you had with your parents is how you typically understand God initially so then because my parents weren't together I didn't really grow up with them together in the same house I had to look at God through the lens of my father and then I had to look at God through the lens of my mother when I looked at God through the lens of my mother I was like I'm provided for I I have to find that poem and just read that a couple of lines to you my I can eat I have shelter I have clothing God takes care of me God provides for my basic needs and in this poem I wrote, but I don't know a God that sees to my heart. I don't know a God that cares about me beyond the basics. I wrote that, you guys. And I, would, I had to be 25, 26, 25 years ago I wrote that. And to read this in the, or not read really, it, but to learn, or yeah, learn of this um, through this chaos system based on what this guy was talking about. I was like, Whoa. So, adults who come from this focus on survival. And they have to learn to work on belonging. They don't do well with belonging. And they're fiercely independent. We're not talking about me, now. They're not talking about me. No, no, no. <laughs> so... So funny though when I when I was writing like taking notes and trying to decide. I was like, Oh, I don't know if this one is my family. I don't know if this is a primary one for me. Because I had seven, five, and one even and I and not this is number four according to this guy's list. So anywho. So you think about all of that in those that time period there was I, I think I was telling saying to my mom, you know, we only had three addresses. She said that no, you had three addresses once I divorced your dad. But prior to that We had multiple addresses. Many of the addresses they weren't they weren't ours. I just never thought about that. So yeah, (laughs) so that's that. Um, I don't know. I don't even know. Did I finish my disclaimers? Well. Um, I'm sorry, you guys, I, I'm I'm at a loss right now. I have no idea where to pick up. <laughs> I feel like I was in a bubble and now I'm out of that bubble. It's like, okay, what do I talk about now? So I think ultimately what has come for me is that those three, those three stages that I'm consciously aware of, I'm, I could say, yep, there's something, there was something missing in those three stages. They were the... Intimacy, industry, and identity stages from ages 6 to 40. Uh, I'm sure I didn't give those to you in the right order. I can clearly see gaps there in terms of what I needed to develop. And in the next stage uh, around generativity, where I'm at now, I, I can reasonably question that. Although it looks... I look like I'm pretty good on, on, you know, on paper, which is one of the types of family, uh dysfunctional st- family structures, looking good on paper. And that's how I am in this stage of my life. Look, I'm making an impact. I'm I'm giving back. Look at me. Look at what I've done. <laughs> so let me give you another disf- uh, dysfunctional family system. This is number seven. I identify with this one right away. And this is more from my extended family, which I think has had a great impact on my mom. And I don't know enough about my dad. I don't know anything about my dad's family to even talk about that. So, his family. So, it's not that I'm picking on my mother. I don't don't know about my father's family, which is one of the reasons why I've hired. I've not hired, but I have a friend of mine who's a genealogist who's helping me to look into learning about. The family, because I have no idea who those people are. I don't even know, I don't know their name, I don't know where they live. I don't, nothing. So, I can't analyze it. So, that's the only reason why I'm focused on my mother. She's the parent that stayed. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, the the first is, uh, this toxic family that he he mentions is looks good on paper, and they focus on covering up feelings covering up and ignoring feelings the traits about that what I found really helpful about this one is that this is a family that you don't know is dealing with dysfunctions so other families that deal with dysfunctions you know it you see it but not this family and I'm not talking about my immediate I'm talking about my mom's family which was part was part of raising me right so I'll always look at that as good but now I'm like, oh, that could have had an impact on my development. Hmm. Well, anyway, this is the one toxic family system that the world doesn't know is toxic. Because of how they are focused on image and status and looking good. And they do, this is interesting, they do uh, looking down on, I don't want to unpack that. Um, any kind of problem is seen as a weakness, so you don't have problems. Even if you do have a problem, you don't frame it as a problem, which is why I keep deleting those episodes. No, nope, and I think there's a lot of Type Eight type ism, but I think there's a Type Three ism in my family too, because Type Threes can look like Type Eights in a particular... I don't know which subtype it is, but the Type Threes are about looking good, about being good, and part of that is we we don't have problems. Because problems are weakness. We're, we're not weak. We're strong. I think I also come from a culture that does that as well. But we won't unpack that today. Parents from this system are seen as good. But they have an inner world of chaos. I really wish I, this is part of, I, I, I can't unpack this out loud. I wish there were, there were things I'd love to share with you. And I will share it when I write the book and I can control the editing process. <laughs> and I'm not freestyling. And I can go, oop, this section needs to be moved to the top. And this is a subsection of another point. And I can't control that while I'm freestyling. So we will not unpack that here. But whenever I get to the time of writing the book, it'll go there. Or if if the universe wants. How about that? <sighs> All the people who have statuses, they're high, and any type of uh, weakness is repressed, any type of feelings are repressed. And people who come up in this family system uh, deal with chronic feelings of emptiness, constantly comparing self to others, and they know love as conditional. They do not know love is unconditional. Love is conditional. You work for that, love. And when you don't have the love, you say it was something I did. So that is, um, that is something I can see in me during this stage of life. I look good on paper. Not, not today, because I think, I think I have been really interested in working on the inside. I don't fully know how to do that. But for so long, I look good on paper. I look good on paper. I was in a 10 year relationship with somebody who looked on paper and we were both jacked up trying to cohabitate together. And I do wonder what would it have been like had we met at a different time. Because we look good on paper. It was an attractive space. We were, you know, I was like we're going to be a power couple. And my ex said, "What happened to that idea of being a a a power couple?" I'm like, "Yeah, I can't do it if we if we're having constant chaos." And even like the chaos of moving, I brought that. We moved to one state. Then we moved back. And then I got to a place where I was like, I don't want to move again. But I I brought a lot of that. I brought a lot of chaos to that and didn't know it. I saw my ex's chaos. (laughs) I saw my ex's problem. I didn't see mine. I see it now. And that does not negate my ex's problems. I was more than likely drawn to my ex because of the problems. Right? So you just had two people who were good on, looked good on paper. And had, excuse me, but had all kinds of shittery underneath the surface. And now trying to cohabitate and live together and trying to. But the good to my defense, I wanted to do the work. But because you look good on paper. It's hard to go somewhere. Even when we did couples counseling, it was hard to go somewhere. And, and, and for a practitioner to crack that, they had to be really good at getting out from behind the paper part of us because we were going to project that. Because we did look, we, we had some, uh, uh, we were amazing <laughs> accomplishments. And we were well-spoken and articulate. We were fine we just, we know we need the, we know we need therapy together but like we couldn't tell you what was wrong <laughs> very very well spoken both of us it's funny now it's funny it's <laughs> i feel bad for those people who tried to help us <sighs> but in one of the edit, one of the episodes that i deleted i talked about um, i talked about uh, maybe I said this yesterday, knowing that there was a a part of my growth required healing, and I couldn't do that as a single woman, and I needed a relationship to rub up against me to show what was what needed, what was the healing work that was needed. That's what my ten year relationship did for me. Even though I left that relationship not fully knowing what my stuff was, I knew, excuse me, by way of being attracted to that individual, there was no way I should have been attracted to that individual. No way. There's no way that maybe the attraction part, but like early on, like from the beginning, there were things, there were red flags early on, and I. That tells me, that told me, nope. This is not just about that person being broken. You had some brokenness too, and that's kind of what I've been committed to since the breakup, and since my reco- my recovering. But most of my recovery has been focused on getting stable getting back on my feet, getting a job, getting my credit together, getting my savings, getting home, right? Okay, we got all of that. I mean, I don't, I'm do not i not a homeowner, and I'm, I'm like now on the fence about buying a... Mm, that's not true. I do want to buy a house, but I don't want to buy a house to live in, per se. Anyway, we won't talk about that now. But, you know, I mean, there's still work to do. There's still work I want to do on my credit, but my credit's pretty, pretty comparable, if not better than it was before. So, um, I'm almost back at making the money I made before I, you know, I'm using a lot of that as the, as my benchmark. Do I want to stay here? No, I want to continue to grow, but that's where I've been focusing. You know, I want to get my weight as soon as I feel like I work on my weight, then something happens and all that. But for the most part, that's the structural me is, is making it. So now it's really, really time to, to do that other stuff. That comes from those kind of toxic families, the kinds of family structure. And it's hard because I love my family. Uh, I believe my family loves me. But I want to say this one, this number five, and I guess I'm going to start closing the five family structure. And I hope I can hit the re- release button on this one. That five family structure, the the fifth toxic family structure is called the anti love family. This is the one I have squared and starred. This one is the one I I was impacted by the most in terms of my consciousness. This is having a parent that had contempt for me, contempt and disgust. Now, what's powerful is that you know I talked about needing external validation, like external words, worlds. Like there's no way to wrap up a your wrap. To make un there's no way to understand that. How do you explain that having a parent that has contempt for you has disgust for you? I never even had those words until two days ago, but I did start saying in the last couple of years it's like hate it's like a it's like a a feeling of hate, but that's cognitive dissonance because i can'm feeling hate I'm feeling a system of um A dynamic of hate or a phenomenon of hate, but then there's a lot of words, I love you, and there's a lot of verbiage of love, articulation of love, but the behaviors are of contempt and disgust, and I didn't know what to do with that. So the book that I read about the five mothers who couldn't love—that's when it started coming to like, okay, this did this thing that I was perceiving. This is not in, just in my head; it's not just something I imagined. I don't know why this person, this parent, would do that, but it's a thing. So this content I took a couple of days ago is it's the fifth type of family. Toxic family is called anti. It's called the anti love family, and he says it's different from a family that is unable to show or express love, to say I love you, but they're 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 unable to show it. This is a family that is is act, actually has contempt. There's a lot of self hate. Um, there's bullying. There is a. When you go to a, to them and you say I'm I'm hurt. Well, what do you want me to do about it? Or, that happened to me. Why are we talking about it? That happened to me. So why are we, gonna, why are you having a problem with it? If it happened to me, it happened so. Why are you having a problem with it? Vulnerability is picked at. If I'm miserable, you're miserable. And f- adults who come from that come out in one of two ways they're either incredibly cold or incredibly sensitive and i believe my sister and i both occupy <laughs> where we occupy we fit there one is one and the other is the other <laughs> i won't talk about that in that family you experience a sense of betrayal sense of betrayal because if the per the people were supposed to love you and they're not supposed to hate you and have contempt for you and they have it that's well, oh, I didn't turn off my indicators, sister. I haven't done in a long time. Um. So that's that one. I'm not gonna say more on that. Um. That's five. I've given you seven. I've given you five. I've given you four. Um. Number the sixth one is chips in the night. This is when the couple—they're not connected to each other—and as a result, they're not connected to the family. There are a lot of affairs in this type of family structure. Kids are parented by um, their friends' parents. Oftentimes, they spend more time with their friends' parents. Uh, this family—this—the kids can also spend time in boarding schools or other or with other family members. Yep. The parents for these kids feel like strangers. There's no intimacy there. Adults who come from this family structure struggle intimacies. Uh, excuse me, struggle with intimacy. They always feel on the outside. They, al- they also feel neglected, even after they're gone from that environment. They feel neglected. The person, the the the, the guy, the content gener- generator said, "This family." Can have a family, but they don't cultivate a family. I thought that was an interesting distinction. Number three is toxic divorce, toxic loyalties. Oh, there's a lot of parent. There's a parent alienation. One parent is is assassinated. One parent's character is assassinated. The other parent is the victim. The child, children, have to learn to uh, take sides in that type of system. There's usually step parents that are introduced early on. So that's another one where intimacy is hard. Loving relationships. Adults who come from this loving relationships are a lie. Healthy relationships are not real. What is modeled is a blueprint for all relationships. And that blue, that blueprint was compromised. Number two, toxic single parenting. The kid is the adult. The single parent is the child. The child learns early on what the parent's limitations are. And the child has been begins to develop what's missing that child can develop a superhero kind of identity can solve all problems i can do all things we won't talk more about that and then number one is aggressor codependent and usually one parent is violent the other parent is the one that's trying to stick around make it work that codependent what i found interesting about this one is that that codependent parent is the one where the adult child needs to do healing work around, not the aggressive parent, because everybody knows that that parent was aggressor. We already know that was problematic, but you don't really understand the problematic nature of the codependent parent, and that's where the healing work is needed. So, you guys, there's a lot that I didn't say because I didn't want to have to delete this episode again. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to end it here because my, my battery is about to die. Um, so this is take five. I hope that I have the courage to release it. And, uh, if you know me, like this is, I think this is the other piece, like this is only a fragment of the story, right? So anybody who's hearing this and they try to make a full diagnosis, um, or assessment, you really can't We're just a part of it. That's not what this is for, but it is something that I believe is part of the journey. I think there's so much more for me to unpack. So much more for me to learn. um, And so much work for me to do. And the reason why I'm going to do that. Is because of this stage of development. So this is the generative stage. I don't want to just look good on paper. I want to be able to belong. I want to be able to have real intimacy with people. Um, I want to be able to be vulnerable. And it's okay. Because when I go into that next stage of life. Which is. What is the last stage? Something about. Versus despair. Int- is it integrity? I think it's called integrity versus despair. I don't want to have despair in the final stages of life. So I'm going to do my work to go back and get those earlier pieces. I, I think that's reasonable. And I suspect in an environment, in a culture of capitalism, patriarchy, sexism, racism, you know, I believe we all have work to do in this area. We all have deep work. Now, do all of us? Do we all have the courage to do it? Do we all have the resource, resources to do it? As in time and money? No. But I think we all could stand to do it. So, at the risk of sounding like a type one in the enneagram, I'm going to model. I'm modeling what that looks like. I won't be able to come and and, and share all of the details just because I, I can't do that. <laughs> Um, but know that that's what I, I think that's what I want to work on Um, for 2020, 2022, is that inner work. I thought I had done so much of it, but I, I don't know. I feel like I've done a lot of work in terms of understanding my sense of self. And in so many ways, I have gone back to the early, like that identity stage. I've done, I think that's what the whole fascination with personality theory is. It helps me to go back and do that identity work that I couldn't do when I was a teenager. I didn't have the freedom and the space to explore and experiment with different identities and roles. Because that's what you're supposed to do in that stage. Oh, I don't have my notes on that one. What stage is that? Oh, here it is. Yep, identity and role confusion. Yep, That's between 12 and 18. You're supposed to experiment with different identities and different roles. You start experimenting who the adult you is going to be. So I feel like that is the work I've been doing. And I'm excited about that. And now I've got to go back and do some stuff around intimacy. I think that's the one I'm struggling with the most. Even the industry part versus inferiority, I feel like I've done work on numbers four and five. So I I feel like I've done that work. I think now it's time for me to work on that intimacy stuff. And that's harder than a bleep. (laughs) I hard all get out. But that's what I'm going to work on. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. But that's what I want to work on. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this reflection. To identify the specific area of work that I'm, I'm taking into 2022. That's my inner work that I'm doing. I invite you guys to do the same. Okay? You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about development and family toxicity... If that's related to the conversation you've had in the world, please take this episode and share it. It may not be the best, but I'm telling you, I had this is f- five attempts. I feel better about this one. Um, I don't know why. I've st- I still shared a lot, <laughs> but this one feels better. Um, so please share this episode if you've had a similar conversation with someone in the world. Don't give this to someone you've diagnosed as having a developmental problem or like they struggle with a certain stage of development. That's that's intrusive, it's oppressive. But if you've been with a person, you've been with vulnerability to vulnerability in that conversation, share it with a person. Don't share at, share with. People don't understand the difference. But there is a talking at a person and talking with a person. And if you've been with, the only way you can be with is being vu- at equal levels of vulnerability. And if you've been vulnerable with another person and you've had this conversation, take this link and share it with them. Okay. And if my moving about in this reflection has inspired some randomness in you, please take this link and share it out. Nope, nope, nope. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, would you please find it a way to share it with me? You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, Twitter, YourNiDom1, Facebook, NIDom Leadership, and YouTube, YourNiDom. Let me give you your homework assignment. I think I'm going to have you do two different things. Well, number one, go and find this, uh, uh, the video that talks about seven types of toxic family structures. If you can't find it, email me and I will send you the link. Um, I think the guy's name is Patrick can't I don't, I'm not sitting in front of the computer right now. I was in one of the earlier drafts that I deleted um, go and look at those seven types of family toxic family structures and see if you had one that was related and if you did just really explore what he's saying and consider how you might be acting as an adult operating as an adult from that ex- that type of childhood family experience. And then the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to go look at the uh, Eric Erickson's eight stages of development and look at each stage and see if you can analyze your growth. And is there anything you need to do so that when you get to the end of life, there is no regret. There is no despair. That you can die with full integrity that you were the best version that you were supposed to be. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.